Welcome, this is One Hour of Sunshine and I'm your hostess, Megan Joy Haverda. We're filming at the Sandbox today in Santa Barbara, California, a co-working hub for entrepreneurs and change makers. This show is for business leaders that are willing to finally admit that they use their intuition in business to make business decisions and navigate their lives. This show will elevate and normalize intuitive skills in the workplace and allow such skills to be seen as great assets to companies, organizations, communities, and families. Our guest today is David Pullman. We'll be speaking with him in a moment. Stay tuned for his story as an intuitive and his 20 plus years of experience connected with the Maharishi community and university in Fairfield, Iowa, including their pre-K to high school, their university, and their Transcendental Meditation Center. So every show we do an inside of the day. And I always tune in and I think, okay, well, what should we say today? And the last show was about us each being conductors of energy and our own conductors of our own life. So I was thinking about my experience given today's topic of Transcendental Meditation. I was thinking about how I came to meditation. And over the years, since I was 18, I've practiced yoga, which is more physical, but it, it really helped me with a bout of depression that I had going into college. And I was a very happy child and person, so the bout of depression really struck me as, you know, I was concerned and I found yoga. And then through my practice of yoga, I found meditation. And there's so many kinds of meditation. So the inside of the day for our guests is find what works for you. Try things. It could be yoga. It could be long walks. It could be mirror gazing. It could be veganism. It could be meditation and there are many kinds of meditation so today we're going to hear about one in particular in my research on transcendental meditation I found a study published by consciousness and cognition and it identified three meditation categories which I found really cool because I'd never ever seen it positioned this way um, and they based it on different brain wave differences so while you're experiencing the meditation what is your brain doing so different people like Zen and Vipassana, which is called concentration or focus meditation. Another um, type is open monitoring, which frankly I have no idea what that means, but our guest today will tell us. <laughs> That's mindfulness and Kriya Yoga. And then there's self-transcending, which our guest will also explain to us, but that is what Transcendental Meditation is. And for the sake of time and ease, we're going to sometimes refer to Transcendental Meditation as TM in the chat today. So David, Dr. David Pullman, welcome to the <laughs> show. And please Thank tell you. us more, orient us, you know, how are all these different meditations different and why, why TM? Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm impressed by your little bit of research there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing that distinguishes transcendental meditation from other techniques is that it is effortless and it's natural. It's very simple. And it's a technique you do 20 minutes twice a day. And there's no focus. There's no concentrating. There's no effort involved. So a person learns the technique. It involves a little mantra, a little sound that you receive. And that's a personalized instruction process to, to receive that. Nice. And then you're taught how to use it. 
and there's no chanting, there's nothing mm, focused or concentrating. You're just taught how to use your mantra internally and without any effort, without any trying, the mind and body spontaneously begin to settle down. Mm -hmm. It's an automatic process. And that's why in the research you just referenced, transcendental meditation is the, in the category of automatic self-transcending. Mm -hmm. To transcend means to go beyond. And so during TM, the mind and body begin to settle very deeply. The body becomes deeply rested. Your breath disappears. Your heart slows down. There are other chemical neurologic changes. But subjectively, what one feels is that increasing peace. The mental activity begins to subside and quiet. And that refinement of mental activity goes to such a depth that we transcend mental activity altogether mm. and experience a state of inner peace, profound silence. It's also a very pleasant, blissful experience. It can feel unbounded. I can't wait. There's a lot of research that shows <laughs> that this is a real thing and it has its own unique neurophysiology. It's a fourth state yeah. of consciousness, unlike waking, dreaming, and sleeping. It's its own unique interior experience. Well, I'm, I'm really touched that you flew out here to be on this show and to actually train me in transcendental meditation. I remember one of our first conversations and I was trying to be polite and and I paused and you were like, oh, don't worry. It's okay if you swear. Do you remember saying that to yeah, me? Yeah. <laughs> and that's intuition. Like you knew mm. that I just had this. And, mm, and, mm. and also I've read about transcendental meditation and how it's used for ADD and how it's used for ADHD and how it's used for PTSD. And I happen to have all of those. <laughs> so I'm a perfect candidate. Um, but I also have dormant Tourette's. It actually came up in a mm. biorhythmic report mm. done on me. Um, which is why I love to swear so much. But you saying that to me on the phone was so, um, it just took down my my mask. You know, it just you mm. just were intuitive enough to know that I was bubbling up with a swear word, but I was trying to be professional and polite and didn't want to swear. And so I love that naturalness in you. And, and I'm sure that 20 years in the Maharishi world has given you not only intuition, but a lot of other ways of navigating the world. So as a Indiana Catholic boy, how in the <laughs> heck did you find Maharishi? Mm. And how did you know, oh, this is my path. I'm going there. I want to study yeah. that. Yeah. Um, when I was about 14, I entered my first existential crisis moment. I began to feel something wasn't quite right with the world around me and in the inside I really started to feel there's more to life than what I'm seeing it was really maybe an immature version of that but it was the blossoming of a seeker mm -hmm. came across a book on transcendental meditation when I was about 15 called the science of being and art of living and this was a book that Maharishi the founder of TM had written in the 60s that title turned me on I wanted to know what this was but there was a strange Indian gentleman on the cover that was very foreign to me in my Midwest upbringing. It was new. A couple years later on my college campus at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, there's an introduction to TM. I recognized it and it's like, ah, I want that started. And I was 19 at the time. And so 26 years of practicing transcendental meditation. Wow. And it was a game changer for me on all kinds of levels, but that's how I came to it. Shortly after, my whole family learned. 
And um, I look forward to teaching my nieces and nephews (laughs) sometime soon. I bet. (laughs) So, you know, you're a very warm individual, but you're also a rigorous academic. How, How has TM helped you bridge those sides of yourself? You know, that really sensitive, warm man and the rigorous academic that wants to succeed and achieve and be yeah. linear how, how right. does it bridge for you um i for me the benefits of transcendental meditation are holistic yeah. and that means mind and body it means the scientist and the artist mm-hmm. and so i found that mentally my mind became sharper my concentration better my insight deeper and on the level of the heart, just less stress, less anxiety. Could be more comfortable in my own skin and be more comfortable in a variety of environments and with other people. So I think just tapping into that really deep self-referral silent consciousness during mm-hmm. TM has a holistic effect on the whole of the being, the mind and the heart. Yeah. So I'm grateful for it because I don't think that would have happened otherwise. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Like you would have been a compartmentalized person. Perhaps much less happier. I look at photographs of myself before I learned TM, and I don't see the spark mm. that I gained after I learned TM. I became mm. more of myself after mm. I learned. So with all the news lately, and, and we'll talk specifically about the gun control issue in schools in a minute, but as the dean of students from 2004 to 2009, That's a big responsibility. So how did actually doing TM yourself, even though you were in an environment teaching TM, how did that help you be the dean of students? How did you really accept that level of responsibility for all these precious little Mm. people? That was at Maharshi University of Management. So all the faculty, students, and staff there practice transcendental meditation as part of the work environment, part of the curriculum. So in dealing with the students, we already had that common grounds, although the students come from all kinds of diverse backgrounds and interests. And intuition, it was the most difficult job I've probably ever had. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) I think intuition is what got me through in the sense that, um, especially in dealing with behavioral or discipline type issues, our, my role as the dean of men or dean of students was to uplift the students Mm -hmm. so our approach to if we had any disciplinary type issue our approach was to bring out something positive about the student then deal with the issue but also then leave on a positive and strong note I mean we've had I had experiences where students perhaps were being suspended or some other disciplinary thing that Mm -hmm. they're not going to be happy about and using the intuition about what to say, what not to say, mm-hmm. being connected to the student, how he or she is feeling, to ultimately make them feel uplifted, that what's happening is for their best interests. It's part of their evolution and growth, mm-hmm. and we, we welcome them. We're not, we're not punishing them. Mm-hmm. We are looking for a way to improve the situation. And sometimes there's no manual for that. <laughs> there, are, there are communication skills one can learn, perhaps, but I think... <laughs> at the end of the day it's your spontaneity from your heart and spontaneously acting and thinking in a way that's going to nourish and support so i think it's probably what got me through those yeah. years how do you you know something we we spoke about on the last show is 
when you sense something about someone, you know, how do you share it in a way that they can really hear it? Um, especially if you're disciplining a student. You know, if you pick up on something about the student's life or the student's home life, which is intuition, how, how do you gently handle that information? You know, sometimes people can say, well, how do you know that? How do you, do you think you know more than me? How do you know that? And, you know, you're a very gentle man, but you're also a leader. So how do you gently say, well, my sense is, or, you know, what is your way? How do you address something that you've picked up on? It's a really good question. Um, one of one of my favorite phrases that came from Maharishi, who's was the founder of TM and also founder of the the school and the university there, um, he would reference an ancient Vedic Sanskrit expression, Satyam Bruyat, Priyam Bruyat, and one translation of that: is, speak the truth, speak the sweet truth. Mm. If you communicate something to somebody but damage the feeling level, mm. then that's a loss to life. Mm-hmm. You've actually damaged and the communication, damage the feelings. There's a real art in communicating with somebody and getting the message across while still attempting to up, uphold the feeling level mm. in the communication mm. between the two. I think in terms of dealing with students, we want to have evidence. We don't want to go purely on a gut, mm-hmm. especially now that I'm teaching at the high school. Mm-hmm. If we suspect something is amiss at home, mm-hmm. we will pursue that intuition by looking to get gather facts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then if we need to we have a dialogue we're very much we're the maharshi school which is k through 12 is very much into social emotional learning models Mm. and so we look to build relationships and communication is the foundation of that we're always striving for it we're not perfect at it Mm -hmm. but we're always striving that's our intent Mm -hmm. and i find the meditation is pivotal (laughs) to that because it keeps us present it keeps us from acting out our own stresses and anxieties we're just we're more plugged into the moment Mm -hmm. and what's needed in that moment Mm -hmm. well speaking of stresses so getting into the gun control and all the threats that have been happening in schools nationwide and all the marches that have been happening um how are you addressing that in the classroom and I assume that you are, you know, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you're talking about it with your students. I'm sure they're bringing it up or you're hearing them mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. it. So how how do you embrace big world scary issues with mm-hmm. them in an up-leveling, solution-oriented way? Yeah. <laughs> we, I, I, I think two things happen with the students at the university and at the school. The meditation expands their consciousness, and we also foster foster a culture of global citizenship. Mm. So these are big students on the inside, mm-hmm. in their hearts, their minds, their consciousness. They're high achievers. Mm-hmm. They feel empowered. And so the students, they will participate in whatever way. They want to have a voice. On a very practical level, we take steps to make sure that we're prepared. You know, just we're in a small rural environment in Iowa, and it's always tempting to think of tragedies happening elsewhere mm-hmm. B- but any community is vulnerable yeah and so you have to be prepared yeah we take steps we we've recently practice our emergency response our lockdown procedures our blackout procedures um evacuation these types of things we we have a an alertness um our students participate in the um of their own volition to participate in any of the marches 
17 minutes outside of class a few weeks ago, um, we had a dialogue with the students and it was something the school would allow. The school doesn't take a particular political stance on, yeah. on these things, but we support the students' rights too. And um, yeah, even even in small towns like Iowa, you it's, never know. You never know, but the students feel engaged. They feel connected. And their global citizenship, which is the whole, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see because yeah. we want our students to be broad in their perspectives and consciousness. So I, I thank you for that. I, I saw, I think it was on Facebook this morning, but it was a book called The Boy Crisis. Um, and the number one similarity that all these shooters have had in all these um, school events is fatherlessness and you know as a male teacher and a male leader in an academic environment you probably are a father figure to a degree even though they all have fathers but you're holding that role you're you're a man of influence in their life so how have you felt that exalted pressure mm. <laughs> role preciousness whatever you want to call it but how have you seen that in your school environment for me personally this is something I have to continue to adjust and accept. Um, I think I was more familiar with teaching at a university level mm -hmm. and to go into a high school, right? Yeah. Currently, I'm teaching ninth through 12th grade boys. Yeah. And this is the most extended time I've ever had with adolescent boys. <laughs> and they come from diverse family situations. Yeah. Not all of them have fathers. It's, it's in an international school, mm -hmm. so there's um, some diversity there. Um, I've come to realize that being with the younger students that they can see me as a mentor and I've <laughs> a part of me steps back from that. It's like, oh, don't pay too close attention to what I say <laughs> I do. Um, my my buddy said it was great teaching at the school because they're at a, a age where they'll actually listen mm. and they'll actually you have more capability of, of shaping them in a positive mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. So that's been part of my learning curve, mm -hmm. to, s to be more conscious of that. I hope I've done a good job. I don't know. I have great relationships with the boys, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but it's an, it's an ongoing learning process. I have no children of my own, yeah. so I have not been tested in the battlefield of parenthood. <laughs> the classroom. It is a battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> the joy, the battlefield. Yeah. Um, so the classroom is my parenting ground, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Well, good. I'm sure that you're very very loved so in today's world there's a lot of stressors there's environmental stress there's financial stress there's political stress there's food security stress you know and kids even if they don't exactly know the data or are reading all the papers or watching all the streams or whatever they sense wow I'm I'm in a really the world's kind of stressed like they know it they pick up on it my son is extremely intuitive he always picks up on the mood of the house or the mood of the airport or wh wherever we are. So how has TM and your intuition really helped you address and navigate stress that you're noticing in your classroom? Like if the mood of the classroom changes, how do you address it and bring it back up to a positive functional <laughs> state? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think one of the more lively issues at our school has been um, consent issues, dialogues around mm. consent. Mm. And 
with the Me Too movement. Yeah. And so I had a few lessons on the Me Too movement, and I found a lot of the boys, especially the younger boys, were not familiar with it at all. So we looked at the Time magazine cover. We talked about consent. Um, we're going to have more local okay. experts come in and, yeah. and do that. I think, though, that the students, there's, there's low stress levels at the school. I mean, the, the students are stressed by kind of grades the the grades getting into college <laughs> well, meeting that's their a big deadlines stress for kids yeah. and also the students at Demarshi school are very dynamic they're involved in all kinds of science projects um, destination imagination these creativity all, all kinds of programs and they're they do really really well but they have very full busy lives and mm-hmm. they can feel some pressure the great advantage is that the students practice transcendental meditation in the morning as part of their school day before class and then again later in the afternoon so if something's kind of building up they, they do their meditation yeah. they also do some yoga asanas some breathing exercise before the meditation mm-hmm. so they have an outlet and it does create a very positive school environment you do, you don't feel and you well when you walk in people feel the atmosphere there it is peaceful, but it's a lively kind of peace, not a dull, sleepy, yeah. you know, meditative sort of. It's not like that. You meditate, and then you engage in dynamic activity, and that's what our students are doing. So it's a great advantage for young people awesome. <laughs> to be meditating and have that stress outlet. Awesome. Um, yeah. I can't wait to teach my son after I learn. I mean, not I wouldn't do it in the official way, but as a mama, I would teach him how to meditate. He already talks about his dreams in the morning, so I think kids are just naturally intuitive. Mm-hmm. So I have a really big question for you. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to introduce the locally made product of the show, but I want you to think about this question for when we come back. Okay. What is your vision for education in America over the next five years, and what's your role in it? And we'll be right back to hear all about it. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you. So today, I've chosen to highlight Ticino as our locally made product. So every show, I'll always talk about one locally made product. And when we finally exhaust all of our locally made products, I will go to other counties and highlight those. Something that was so clear in the Fire and the Flood episode was all the small businesses that really, really struggled to stay in business during such a crisis. So I wanted to make it you know, a strong part of the show to really highlight local businesses and encourage people to buy locally. So Ticino is kind of near and dear to my heart. It's founded by Caroline McDougall, an amazing, amazing herbalist and entrepreneur and founder of Ticino. I met her back in 2003. She had started Ticino in 1995, um, but I met her through a binational peace park that I was helping to build and and do binational um, economic development work with. And she was an advisor on the advisory board, and I just adored her, admired her right from the get-go. So we met in 2003, and over the years we've spoken and have mutual friends, etc., and we actually share a birthday. So I wanted to highlight her. Um, it's a coffee alternative, actually, and, and I find it funny that you and I both drink coffee and people would always assume, oh, meditators only drink chamomile tea. <laughs> but <true>. I thought <laughs> we could taste Ticino today and toast 
to their success. Ticino is actually a blend of chicory and carob and ramon nut, which lives in the Maya forest. So um, that is how she and I met. She was down there a lot, and we had a lot of um, similar interests in the Maya forest and all the herbs and plants and useful things out of the Maya forest. Um, so I've always had this in my cupboard, and what I do with it is I mix it with coffee which is kind of mm -hmm. sneaky. But if you mm -hmm. want to just get off coffee altogether, you can wean yourself by little coffee, little coffee, little coffee, more Ticino, more Ticino, more Ticino. Um, and something else about this blend is it is caffeine-free, acid-free, has potassium and inulin, which is a prebiotic for happy, healthy guts and flora, mm -hmm. and it naturally boosts your energy. So it's a wonderful alternative. You can definitely give it to children um, and, you know, individuals recovering from anything, any illness. So if you would like to buy this, you can buy it at almost any health food store that I've seen locally and even at Whole Foods. So if you're traveling and you forgot to pack your Ticino, you can always buy it at the local health food store or Whole Foods. Um, so we're going to get back now to the question before we close up the show. David, what is your vision for education in the coming years? Hmm. My vision. I think my vision would fit along the lines of what the founder of the Marshy School, his vision, which is education's for enlightenment and education is for living one's full potential mental, physical, spiritual, social. And I would like to see schools become consciousness-based schools, consciousness-based education. So in, in addition to studying traditional disciplines, the students have a chance to know themselves mm -hmm. and to contact their deepest inner reservoirs of happiness, creativity, intelligence, these aren't moods. These aren't fanciful ideas. These aren't things we have to believe in. There is some level inside of us where these things are there. There's a field, uh, a resource, a reservoir inside of us. Um, transcendental meditation is just one way to transcend to that level, dip into it, and then come out into your life and exhibit that creativity, that intelligence, that greater happiness, that greater abundance from within to without into the environment. So I think we would see education, happiness levels, health levels, so many positive variables rise up if students were developing their own potential. And at the same time, reducing the stress levels and the anxiety levels and the fear, because those are just stresses in the system, deep stresses. And meditation is a way to dissolve those. And to reduce their impact. So I think we would see a different world if education became enlightenment-based, consciousness-based education. We would still achieve in a material, professional world, yeah. but on a much higher level. Well, and it's also so compatible with every religion. You know, it's not... Transcendental meditation is not an alternative to religion. It is a complement to religion. So, you know, I just want to say that so all audiences realize... 
this is complementary to whatever they're already practicing, living, b- whatever their belief system is. That's right. Good. Yeah. It's not. It's not even a lifestyle thing. You don't yeah. need to change your diet or really anything. It's just yeah. complementary. It's something you add to your day, and then whatever changes will come, you know, organically and just yeah. spontaneously to fit your life. Beautiful. So we always do one call of action, or call to action. What should we encourage our audience to do today? What's the call to action? Um, well, to me, it would be meditate. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> and easy. It's my a wrap. personal bias. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of meditations out there. Yeah. And I think just picking up something is better than nothing. Yeah. And you can then look around. I mean, the research you referenced at the beginning of the of the show shows that different techniques, meditation is not just one pot where it's all the same thing. Meditations are different in both their technique, how you learn them, and their effects. So you can do your research on them. Transcendental meditation is available everywhere. So there's always an option for that. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. And I want to also give special thanks for the Sandbox for hosting us. Um, That's the location that we're in, the sound room that we're in right now. And Charlene Sansoni for her production and creative support and for Oniracom for filming and helping with marketing and distribution. So bye for now. This is Megan Joy Haverda, your host of One Hour of Sunshine. See you in two weeks for our next show with Jenny Steerwalt of Blanca Store and Label. She is a conscious and very intuitive fashion designer and business owner who made lemonade out of lemons during our local fire and flood this past winter. She even put a whole new spin on her business. I do know her personally, and she's a phenomenal human being, and I can't wait to have her on the show. Thank you, David. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. you.